Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18 says this. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, God, that we have the wonderful opportunity to spend a few moments just digging into this passage. And I pray as we do that, that you would humble us before your word and before the authority that it carries, that we might walk out of here not wanting it to say what we want to say, but rather making it say what you want to say. That we might know the glorious power of your glory and how it can transform us and move us and mold us into your image. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. Anyone in here remember MapQuest? Yes, back in the barbaric times uh, where we would go on the internet with the dial-up, right? Can't, can't be on the phone with anyone uh, in the house. We would plan out a trip a couple hours away. We'd go on the MapQuest, type it in. It would give us a list of directions. We would print it off, students. We would print it off. It wasn't on our phones. And, uh, <laughs> and we would take it with us. And if you got lost an hour into your trip, you're just out of luck. <laughs> you just try to, you got to try to find your way back to a road that makes sense on this paper. Uh, man, the first couple of years of um, college, I had to do this before smartphones really became a thing, and I got lost multiple times. Fun stories there, but not stories for today, because we are in the 21st century. We are no longer cavemen, and we have these things in our pockets. Apple Maps, Google Maps, whatever you use, we now have technology that we can just type the address into it, and it takes us there, right? How did we live before that? I don't know. My mom uh, was uh, alive for about 40 years before that technology came out. And so she's used to like pulling out a map and, and you know, giving like, you know, uh, oral descriptions of what's going on. Even now, if we're meeting somewhere, she will take the time to explain to me the directions on how to get there. Anyone still do that to your kids, right? She'll, she'll explain the directions on how to get there. And I'm telling her, I'm like, mom, just give me the address. I'm not hearing anything that you're saying right now. It's all going to go on my phone. Just give me the address and I'll go there. We have technology now, yet it's not perfect. How many of you have ever gotten lost even while using Apple Maps or Google Maps? Case in point, a few years ago, my wife and I were going on our anniversary. And um, on celebrating the anniversary, there were three things on the agenda. One, we were going to go drop the kids off at the babysitter at our friend's house. Two, we were going to go to Ikea because that's a date whenever you have kids, just walking through a store in peace and quiet. Three, we were going to go to Texas Day, Brazil. If you're not, mm, that means you haven't been to Texas Day, Brazil. Texas Day Brazil, if you don't know, is a high-end steakhouse where they bring slabs of meat to your table and cut it off. Right? It's a buffet. It's all-you-can-eat high-end steak. If you haven't been there, go. That's a freebie. That's not even from the Bible. That's just from me. 
So that was our plan, was to drop the kids off, go to Ikea, go to Texas Day Brazil, come home, it's all a great day. Here's how it worked. Here's the map. So first we went to Ikea over in Grand Prairie. You may ask yourself, why did you go all the way to Grand Prairie? It's because that's the nearest Ikea, at least at the time. So we went to Ikea, and then we had reservations for Texas Day Brazil, I think at six or seven, one of the two. Anyways, we were planning to go into Fort Worth to go to Texas Day Brazil. So I, in the reservation app, we had reservations. You have to have reservations to get into Texas Day Brazil, unless you're just really lucky. And so in the reservation app, I clicked on the, the address it gave me, and I didn't think twice about it, right? I just started driving. Well, about 10 minutes later, I start looking around and thinking to myself, these buildings are a little too tall for Fort Worth. And so I was wondering what happened. Well, this is, this is what actually happened. We were taken to not Texas Day Brazil, in Dallas. And at this point, we were about five minutes away from our reservation. And I was more upset that I wasn't about to get steak than anything. So um, I started to contemplate in my heart and on my phone, what happened? Why was I taken to Dallas and not to Fort Worth? Well, I looked at the address for Texas Day Brazil. The address is 101 North Houston Street. Did you know that there's a 101 North Houston Street in Dallas? And the link in the reservation app, from the reservation app, this isn't a Chris issue, this is a reservation app issue. I clicked the link and the link didn't specify the city. And so the link just had 101 North Houston Street. So it took me to whichever one was closest. And you know which one was closest? Dallas. Not Grand Prairie, I'm sorry, not Fort Worth, but because we're in Grand Prairie, we were closer to Dallas. Now, I know you're probably wondering, did y'all get steak? Well, uh, we looked up the Texas Day Brazil in Dallas, called, and they just happened to have an opening, and so we still got our steak. Yes, okay, we're good. I know that y'all are as invested in my steak consumption as I am, and I'm, I'm, y'all are doing the Lord's work. <laughs> So we had a very clear destination in mind on where we were going. Yet, because we had the wrong directions, we didn't make it there. Right? And in today's passage, uh, it explains to us a very clear direction that God is taking us. That God is taking us from somewhere to somewhere, and he's given us directions on how to go there. If you weren't here last week, Pastor Lee taught on does God have a path for my life? Does God have a will for my life? And he spent quite a bit of time um, talking about, generally speaking, for, for all mankind, God's path and will for your life is to come to a saving faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And in doing so, you will then be transformed into the image of Christ. And so what I want to do today is I just want to get a little bit more specific into that. Just dig a little bit deeper into that thought. Because this passage tells us that that's the, the, the path that we're going. And I just want to just hone that in a little bit and figure out the direction on how to go there. Let's actually pull back up today's passage. So in verse 18, and, and by the way, uh, we're going to hop around a little bit this passage as I try to unpack what's going on. Here's my recommendation to you. Go home today and read this whole chapter, because um, we're not going to have time to, to, you know, word for word, read every single line. Um, but this whole chapter is just great, and it unpacks a theological issue of what's going on between um, where God 
had us and where God is taking us. Okay? All right. So that's my recommendation to you. Verse 18 says this, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So that's the statement I want to dig into right there. We're, we're going to get into this whole verse, but, but that phrase right there, from glory to glory, we've been transformed from glory to glory. It's a beautiful statement, but what does it mean? That's what I want to get into um, today. Now, if you are a theological nerd, if you are a Bible thumper, Welcome to the club. We're going to get a little bit deep into it today. So hang on tight. If that's not you, it's going to get a little technical for a second. So what Paul is describing here is the path that we're being taken from the, what the Bible refers to as the Old Testament, or sorry, the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. That's the two things that they're, they're laying out there. Now, what are those things? Let's start with the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant is the law. Right? Uh, the Bible sometimes refers to it as the letter, as we're going to see in a passage um, later on. Uh, the Ten Commandments, the law, that's the Old Covenant. And what the Bible um, explains here is that this Old Covenant came with glory. And we can even see that, as we're going to see la later on in our passage, that when God gave Moses this covenant, that God saw the glory of the Lord, and, and the law came down with glory. Now, the Bible holds two things in tandem when it comes to the Old Covenant, to the law. On one hand, it holds that the law is good. It is the revelation of God. It explains the holiness of God. Um, it uh, is glorious. The law is good. It holds that in one hand. And then in the other hand, the Bible holds the law brings condemnation. The law brings death with it. The law brings knowledge of sin, and because uh, it reveals the knowledge of sin, it enslaves us to that sin. And so the Bible holds these two like paradox things in tandem with each other, that at the same time the law is good, and the law is glorious and has glory, yet at the same time brings condemnation and death with it. But... It also says, so that's the Old Covenant, but then it also reveals the New Covenant. So if we pull uh, up uh, verse 6 in chapter 3, it says this, God, he, has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, meaning the law, the Old Covenant, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So while the old law... While the Old Covenant, the law, brought with it condemnation and death, the New Covenant that comes in the Spirit is going to bring freedom from that condemnation and life from that death. So is that everyone tracking with me so far? Okay, on that. Okay. So let's just hang out on that for just a second. That biblically speaking, the law brings death and the Spirit brings life. It sounds like a basic uh, concept biblically, but I want to just hone in on two different thoughts that people have with Christianity, and some of you may hold these thoughts. So on one hand, one, people, or one person may say that if I can just do enough good things, then God will let me into heaven. 
If I can just come to church enough, if I can just give enough money to the poor, if I can just help enough people, if I can li listen to enough, enough KLTY on the radio, um, if I can do all of these good things, then I'm going to stand before God one day and he's going to weigh out all of the good that I've done and all the bad that I've done. And if I can just edge it out in the good, then he's going to let me into heaven. If that's you here today, let me give a, a really quick response to that. No, that's not how it works. The Bible passage after passage after passage after passage explicitly states that through the law, through our good deeds, we will never make it to heaven. Ever. In a million years, you will never do enough good things to make it to heaven. In fact, Jesus gives a very specific example in Matthew 7, where he says that there are going to be people who stand before him on Judgment Day, and they're going to say, didn't we do all of these good things? And what is Jesus going to say? He's going to say, Depart from me, I never knew you. And so if you're a person who thinks that the law, if we just follow the law enough, then you can be saved, then you're mistaken. This passage explicitly uh, says no. Other passages explicitly say no. The law was never meant to be a path to salvation. The law was meant to be a tutor informing us that we need salvation. So that's one person. Another person may have the thought of they are so broken and burdened by their sin and they feel so inadequate before God because they know they don't follow the law. They know that they can never live up to what God has called us to be. And if that's you, if you've come to church today and you are so broken and burdened standing before holy God, welcome join the club. We are all right there among you. None of us are here to say that we've done enough good things, therefore God's given us salvation. We are all collectively gathered here to say that we can't do enough good things, but we trust in Jesus who can and did, who can and did live up to the holiness of God. We can't live up to the law, but Jesus did live up to the law. Okay, so I just want to be explicitly clear. I always, I never want people to walk out of this, this room and think, okay, like if I just be good enough, then God will let me into heaven. No, no. Okay, so that's the old covenant. The law, it's good, it's glorious, yet it brings with it condemnation and death, right? The new covenant is the spirit, and it brings with it freedom in life from that law, right? Now, here's what Paul is getting at. He's saying that if the law, here's his argument, if the law, which brings condemnation and death, has a degree of glory to it, how much more so will the Spirit who brings freedom and life have glory to it? Paul puts it this way in verse 9 of chapter 3. He says, For if the ministry that brought condemnation, a.k.a. the Old Covenant, had glory, the ministry that brings righteousness aka the new covenant, overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpassed it. So what, what Paul's trying to get at here is that the Israelites, when they received the law, they were like, man, this is the most amazing thing that we've ever seen in our life. And and they're right, it was. It was the revealed word of God, right? It was God speaking directly to them, which is a big thing, right? They, they got the law, it's the revelation of God. There's glory to that. It's a good thing. It's a 10 out of 10 on the glory scale, right? But then later on through the work of Jesus on the death 
uh, on the cross and the resurrection, the Spirit comes, and with the Spirit, it fulfills the burden of the law and gives us life. And, and where the old covenant, the law, was a 10 on the glory scale, now the new covenant, the Spirit, is a million on the glory scale. And it's not that the old covenant didn't have glory, it's that the new covenant has so much glory, it doesn't even seem like it, it compares anymore. It's like this. It's like, uh, I think Paul is trying to communicate here to the people that were trying to cling to the law and maybe even to some of us in here that, that are trying to like gain righteousness through our works. What, what Paul is trying to tell them here is, if you had a million dollars in your hands, would you stumble over the ground for a dime? Astrologist um, Neil deGrasse Tyson posed this question, and he asked, how much money would have to be on the ground in order for Bill Gates, for it to be worth his time to pick up? Everyone know who Bill Gates is, right? He's the founder, CEO of Microsoft, worth, I think, like $120 billion. Crazy amounts of money. At the time of recording, I think um, he was only worth $40 billion, so some of the numbers may be a little bit different. But he posed this question, how much money would have to be on the ground in order to make it worth Bill Gates' time to pick up? And he, he thought about it this way, is the average person, what would be on the ground to make it worth their time to pick up? So how many of you, if you see a penny on the ground, you'll reach down and pick it up? It's old people and... <laughs> Old people and little kids. I swear, if I was to offer my daughter a penny or a hundred dollar bill, she would take the penny. My money, that's how she calls it. <laughs> okay, five cents, a nickel, anyone? They'd reach down and pick it up. A dime, a quarter. There we go, okay. Quarter, man, that's where it's at. Penny, nickel, dime, don't care. I will just keep walking. Quarters, though, I need those to get my grocery cart at Aldi. And so I will reach down and pick up a quarter. And so uh, Tyson uh, figured that the average person, it would be worth their time if a quarter was on the ground. So they would reach down and pick it up. So what he did was he took the typical income of the average person and then scaled it up to the net worth of Bill Gates, which at the time was $40 billion. Now it's like $120 billion. But again, let's just use $40 billion just for, for number's sake. He scaled it up to $40 billion. So if a quarter, if there needs to be at least a quarter on the ground for it to be worth our time to pick it up, that means for Bill Gates, there needs to be at least $45,000 on the ground for it to be worth his time to pick it up. $45,000. Imagine being so rich that anything under $45,000 is just not worth your time anymore to pick up. Amen? There we go. Okay. Paul is saying the same thing to us here. He's saying, guys, you have the Spirit, and the Spirit of God comes with so much glory. You are so rich with glory that you need to leave behind the law. That even though the law has value and the law had glory to it, the amount of glory compared to the Spirit is, isn't even comparable. And so you don't need to fumble around trying to pick the law up off the ground anymore. It's the old covenant. Leave it behind. It brought death. Now the new covenant's here that brings life, the Spirit. And that's why 
um, Paul states here that God's desire for us is to be transformed into the same image of God going from glory to glory, right? Going from the old covenant, which had one degree of glory to it, to the new covenant, which has an even greater degree of glory to it. That's the path that we're going. Does that make sense, everyone? Okay, all right, cool. So the reason I say that is because that's the path for every Christian in this room. If you've placed your faith in Christ, that's the destination that God has you going towards. To walk from the old covenant to the new, to go from being enslaved to the law, to being set free from the law, to go from uh, your old ways to being transformed into the image of Christ, going from glory to glory. Now, here's the important thing, is that that's the destination. What's the directions on how we're going to get there? Well, it says so in the passage. Uh, back in verse 18, it says, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. I love all the ways that uh, different translations translate this verse right here, um, that, that phrase, we are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. Some of your translations say, we contemplate the glory of the Lord. Some of your translations say, um, uh, we reflect as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. I really like that one. We're going to get to that one in just a second. Uh, Some of your translations say, we behold the glory of the Lord. But in all this, it's all getting to the same point. The point is that our focus and our gaze is upon the glory of the Lord. And because that's the case, we are now being transformed into that same image that we're beholding. And this brings us to really our only point for today. Our only point is this. If you walk away with nothing else, walk away with this. You become what you behold. You become what you behold. For better or worse, whatever is first in your life, whatever you set your focus and your gaze upon, you will become more and more and more like that thing. My daughter, three-year-old, is a great example of this. Um, She is very impressionable. Uh, meaning whoever she hangs out with that day is who she talks like, right? Like she'll, she'll talk like them, she'll use the same vocabulary as them, she'll like what they like, uh, she'll, she'll want to do what they do. And uh, there's lots of examples I can give you of this, but um, I'll give you this one. One day we came home and uh, we were talking with our daughter and she said, it's okay, honey. And she'd like look at me and then we talked some more then she'd say, it's okay, sweetie. And she'd actually like rub my shoulder. <laughs> very sweet. Um, but it was very odd because we were like, we, we don't really use phraseology like that. Um, we, don't worry, we comfort our daughter. We just don't use the phrase honey or sweetie. Um, well, what also happened that very same day is she started uh, being watched by a new babysitter. And the babysitter did talk like that. We didn't talk like that, but the babysitter did talk like that. And she spent the whole day with this babysitter and she loved her. And her gaze was upon her, her focus was upon her, and so what did she do? She started to absorb some of the characteristics and the attributes of the babysitter. And so, where before, she didn't say things like, it's okay, honey. Now she says, it's okay, honey. She's comforting me. A three-year-old is comforting me. And that's true for all of us. We are all the sum of what we consume, Right? We are all the sum of who we surround ourselves with, with what we surround ourselves with. This is why Paul later on in 2 Corinthians makes the statement, don't be fooled, bad company corrupts good morals. 
Right, students? You awake? You awake? Cool? Okay, good. You know when, how your parents stress about who you hang out with, right? Because that statement's true. Don't be fooled. Bad company corrupts good morals. You are the sum of what you ingest, what you surround yourself with, what you set your gaze upon. And that's true for all of us. And so what Paul is saying here is that if you want to become like God, if you want to be molded into the image of Christ, transformed into the image of Christ, what do you got to do? You need to set your gaze upon the glory of God. Stop bootstrapping it. Just set your gaze upon the glory of God and just take him in. And in taking him in, you will start to become more like him because what you behold is what you become. This isn't a new concept. This whole chapter three is married to Exodus 34. So so let's hop to Exodus 34. So what's happening in this passage is Moses had just had an experience with God on Mount Sinai. And it's that famous passage where Moses um, says to God, show me your glory. And God shows him his glory. And as Moses is coming down from the mountain, he's literally, physically transformed. He is radiating. Let's read the passage. Exodus 34, 29 says this. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law, you remember the law, the old covenant that we've been talking about, with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the, with the Lord. I love that they use the word radiant there uh, because radiant is like, like shining, like he's glowing, not like a pregnancy glowing, which I've never really understood what that means. Um, but he's radiating not because of anything that he's done, but as the verse says, because he has spoken with the Lord. I remember earlier in that passage that one of the translations put that we reflect as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. This is a great example of it, is that Moses encountered God's glory, and now because he encountered God's glory, he's reflecting God's glory as a mirror. It's like the moon. When I was a kid uh, and we would drive around at night, I would stare up at the moon uh, and I would just contemplate its wonder. Uh, I would see the, the, the crevices and the craters all in the moon, and I would try to like, make pictures uh, of, of what those uh, things are. And little did I know that the light that I was seeing from that moon actually wasn't the moon's light. I don't know if y'all know this, but the moon doesn't generate light at all. The moon merely reflects the sun's light. So if the sun isn't shining, the moon isn't shining. In fact, we wouldn't even know the moon was there. I'm not sure we know it's there, but uh, like you wouldn't see it, right? It's only because the sun is providing a source of light and then reflecting off the moon that we now see the moon's light and it fills up the night sky, right? The same thing is is going on here in in our passage today uh, is that Whenever we are transformed into the image of Christ, it is not because of anything that we're doing. It is everything to do with we are radiating and reflecting the glory of the Lord that's hitting us. Make sense? So that means that if you aren't being transformed in the image of Christ, that means that you're not, re- you're not taking in God's glory on a theological level. 
which poses the question, what are you radiating? Are you radiating the image of God, the glory of God, or are you radiating the Texas Rangers who just won the World Series? I don't really watch baseball. I almost called it football. That's how bad I am. Are you radiating the Dallas Cowboys? Which are they winning right now? Are they, are they doing good? So-so. Yeah, don't worry. They'll lose eventually. Um, are you radiating your hobbies? Are you radiating your career? Are you radiating what you can do? Whatever you're radiating is what your gaze is set upon. If you're not sure, just pose the question to yourself. If someone was to come ask, uh, ask to describe what you are all about, what would they say? So if, they, if, if I said, hey, can you describe Chris Brown for me? Like, like just give me a description of him. They would, uh, if, if they started to say, well, he loves coffee. He uh, makes coffee every day, drinks it. Um, he's devilishly handsome. He's, <laughs> that's how you know it's hypothetical. Um, he uh, plays music, plays guitar. Um, he, you know, builds things every now and then. Um, he does all these things. If never in that description, God comes up at all, then that poses the question, am I radiating God? And if I'm not radiating God, that poses the question, am I beholding the glory of God? Because again, what you behold is what you'll become. And so whatever you're radiating out, that might be where your focus on, is on, and that might be what you're placing above God. And maybe you just need to work that out. If you're beholding the glory of God, then you should be transformed and radiate the image of God to other people. Now, here's a caveat to this. If it's true that what you behold is what you become, then it's also true that you cannot behold what you cannot see. You cannot behold what you cannot see. Let's go ahead and throw verse 18 back up there again. It says this in this passage. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking at the glory of the Lord. Now, the unveiled faces is, is really important there. It's actually a throwback, again, to uh, Exodus 34 uh, that we were just looking at. So, so again, hop back to Exodus 34. Um, Moses just came down from the mountain. He's radiating the glory of God, and it freaks everyone out, right? Like, imagine if you saw someone coming towards you and their face was glowing. Your first thought wouldn't be they just encountered the Lord. Your thought would be maybe they came in contact with a nuclear plant. I don't know. So they were kind of freaking out and, and scared. And so Moses, what he did was put a veil over his face to block the glory of the Lord from coming. So, so uh, Exodus 34, verse 33, it says this. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, God, this is the important part, he removed the veil until he came out. So Moses put a veil to block the glory of God, but whenever he actually entered into the presence of God, he removed that veil so that way he can fully experience the glory of God. And this is really important because what this means is that there can actually be something that will hinder you from experiencing the glory of God. That's a possibility. 
There's a possibility that you're in here today and, and you're, you think that you're experiencing the glory of God. You, you, you want to surround yourself with people experiencing the glory of God. You come to church all the time. You read your Bible all the time. You sing songs all the time. You donate, you serve in ministry, you go on missions, and, and you're just racking your brain as to why in the world am I not being transformed into the image of Christ? I'm, I'm surrounding myself with all of this. And the, the answer is, you may have a veil over your face. The passage says that um, we go from glory to glory, that we are transformed into the image of Christ by looking at a mirror. But the very first part of the passage says, with unveiled faces, we view this. And so there's a chance you may have a veil over your face. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean, having a veil over your face? Well, the passage tells us. Um, so back into the Second Corinthians passage, verse 13, says this, we are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory. Some of your uh, versions may say the outcome of the glory of what was being set aside. Verse 14, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Here's the good part. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So, so let me, let me uh, simplify that for you. He's saying, just like Moses, whenever he came down from the mountain and the people were freaked out about the glory of the Lord, Moses put on a veil to block that glory, right? He's saying that just like that happened today, there is a spiritual veil by default over the hearts of people. And if that veil is over your heart, it doesn't matter how much you hear the word of God, you will not see the glory of God. You will read it and you will not see. You will not hear. And that's why there's some people who will rack their brains trying to bootstrap the law. If I just be good enough, if I just be good enough, then God will accept me. Then I'll be like Christ. And this pastor is saying, no, that's not how you do it. You've got it backwards. We don't, we don't, try to become like Christ to be saved. We're saved, and then we become like Christ. And that brings us to why or how that veil is removed. It says in verse 16, not by following the law, not by doing enough good things, not by giving enough money, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And that means that there's some of you that maybe never actually placed your faith in Christ. You've missed the first base and just kept running. And maybe what you need to do, if, if you're just perplexed as to why in the world you aren't becoming more like Christ, maybe let's just take a step back and go to the very beginning and say, is the veil gone? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you placed your faith in him? Only then will the veil be removed. Let's pull back up to verse 18. Only then, we all, with unveiled faces, only then are we looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, and because of that, are being transformed into the same image, going from glory to glory. Let me pray that we do that.
Lord, we are so thankful that you are a gracious God. That, Lord, you gave us your law, you gave us the standard of holiness. And even though we could not live up to that law and deserve death, you made a way for us to get life. And so, Lord, I pray that it would not be lost on any of us today in this room what's going on. That if we strive to get to heaven based on the law, we will fail miserably. But this passage explicitly tells us that we are not going to get there that way. The only way we're going to get there is through the Spirit is through Jesus' death on the cross and the resurrection. And so I pray for anyone in this room that has that veil over their heart, Lord, that you would help them see and and lift that veil, that they may behold the glory of the Lord and that they might be transformed into your image and that they would have life abundantly found in the Spirit. We're going to move into a time of invitation, and, and this is really a time for you to respond however God is, is working in your life. You may be a person that whenever I'm talking about you've been in church your whole life and just somehow you're not being molded into the image of God, that may be resonating with you. And maybe the question you have to ask yourself is, have I placed my faith in Jesus? Is that veil removed? If that's you, we want to encourage you to work that out, to come up here. We would love to share with you how to place your faith in Jesus, how to accept that salvation. That way you might behold and see the glory of the Lord. You may be a person who um, you have placed your faith in Jesus. You have beheld the glory of the Lord in your life, yet you've gotten a little bit lazy. And in your laziness, Uh, your gaze and your focus has shifted from God to something else. That life has just gotten hard. That life has gotten tough and life has gotten stressful and tiring. And your gaze just isn't on God like it used to be. I invite you to turn from that and turn towards the Lord. That you might contemplate the glory of the Lord. That you might behold the glory of the Lord and get back on that destination of of being transformed into the image of Christ, going from glory to glory. If that's you, we invite you to to talk with God about that, to pray with God about that. The the altar's open down here. You're more than welcome to come pray. Uh, We'd love to pray with you if that's what you need, or you can just pray where you are. However God is moving in your life, we just want to give you the opportunity to respond. Can we all stand up together? We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And however God is calling you, we invite you to come.